0: All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Let's praise God for our worship team one more time. They always do an awesome job. Good stuff. Hey, I tell you what, uh, it is a great day to worship God. You indeed chose uh, a great service. All of our services have been great. And I want you to know something. This is, is this not just a blast every single week? Like, I hope that you have fun here. I hope that it's not, yeah, praise God. I hope you're not like, um, <laughs> There. There's two ways, kind of, to approach weekly worship. One is like, well, you know, this is what we do. This is what we do as a family, or this is our tradition. I guess I'll go down there to Ingersoll. Another one is like, I cannot wait to come to worship every single week to see what God is going to do. I I know it is for me. It's hard to get up in the morning, but I need coffee. Well, I need Jesus and coffee in that order. (laughs) Pretty close, right? So Caribou knows me by name. So the thing is, though, the thing is, we look forward to it because of what God is going to do. There's never a dull moment around here, and it helps that you're an incredible church. You're an incredibly faithful church. And if I haven't told you lately that I love you and that I think you're a great church, I love you and you're a great church. There, you just heard it from me this morning. So give yourself a round of applause for being a great church this morning. Absolutely. You bet. Just getting you warmed up here today. You know, you can clap spontaneously at any point in the sermon if you want, whatever whatever you want to do, right? Don't have to be Lutheran all the time. You can come out of your shell a little bit. It's okay. Uh, we had a little party here last week, uh, if, if you know, a little party called Easter. Actually, uh, it was anything but little. Uh, God did amazing things and we celebrate that together. Jesus is alive. Death has been defeated and so we celebrate that. We celebrate what happened. Uh, if it, it all happens very quickly and so for those of you that maybe were here and just kind of like, ah, oh, I'm in and out and there's lots of people or uh, haven't heard or maybe you were out of town or something like that, we celebrate the fact over, between uh, the Good Friday services and Easter, so a Friday, Saturday, uh, Easter services and Sunday here, uh, over 1,100 people worshiped here at Hope Des Moines. So we praise God for that. Praise God for that. Um, And here's the thing. It's not about the numbers. It's never been about the numbers. The reason we celebrate that and we talk about that is because that means over a thousand people heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Over a thousand people experience the love of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. That's why we do what we do. And we know that God is the one that is changing lives. He's the one that that, that can He's the only one that can do that. We can't do that. But He works through us and uses us. And so I want to just I didn't get a chance to do this last week, but I just simply want to say thank you. One of the reasons you're an incredible church is because you get hospitality you get taking pride and ownership in the building that God has given us here to welcome people in and for the hundreds of people that were here last weekend, the people that, that maybe had never heard the good news for the first time and you made room for, for them, I didn't say this, obviously, last week because we had tons of people here that don't, aren't normally here, but you're normally here, so I'll say it to you. Thank you for coming on Saturday night if you did. Thank you for coming to the 8 o'clock service on Sunday morning, which was great. We had a packed house on Saturday night because we told you to do that to make room for all the people at 9, 30, and 11. So thank you. I know that's a weird thing to say thank you for, but you opened up a seat for somebody that came for those other services, and you thought about somebody more than just yourself, and there's so much joy in that. But it's deeper than that. If you, if you were having a thousand people over to your house, you'd probably clean up, right? You'd probably prepare it a little bit. And more than that, this is God's house. So thank you to those of you that served. And you may not know this, but, and I, I wrote a few of them down, so I didn't want to forget, but I'll probably forget uh, somebody. But thank you to those of you that served behind the scenes, not just on Easter, but every single week, for the hundreds of volunteers that serve. And, and whether that's um, our parking team that we add on the parking lot, or ushers, or greeters, or the coffee team, or... Uh, children's leaders, production folks in the back, worship leaders up here, set design. Um, this is volunteers made this. Isn't that a cool set design? Like, praise God for creative people in this church. Yeah, absolutely. Um, created that and, and, and built the tomb that we had. We don't need a tomb anymore because he's alive, so we got rid of that. Um, but also uh, the beautiful flowers out front. We had a, a landscaping team, people. Like, how cool is that? People using their gifts and their passions in those areas. So thank you. Thank you for sharing the love of Jesus Christ with people long before the service ever started. It's worth it. It's worth it because Jesus is alive. And so that's why we exist as a church. And like I said, it's never been... If you think it's about the numbers, if you think it's about the building and, oh, this big church called Lutheran Church of Hope, this is where the rubber meets the road for us. One of the things I love about Easter is the week after because I don't get a lot done because I'm just reading emails and uh, people that were impacted by the service or impacted by the church in some way of what God did. And most of them are through email. A couple of them I got are their letters. So like people took a pen and on a piece of paper, get this, they wrote it and then they put it in this thing called the mail. And it, it, it takes a couple days, but eventually it gets to you. But it, they're very meaningful as well. So I want to just read a couple of those to you about what this is really all about. So one lady wrote, her words, not mine. That's Hope Kids, by the way. They're having a little bit of fun up there. After attending Easter worship at Hope Des Moines, I can honestly say, I'm home. She said, I have been wandering around with no church home for far too long, and it's time to put my roots down and join a church family. She says, I'm home. And you know that feeling. Because chances are, at one time or another in your life, you have either gone on vacation or maybe on a business trip or you've been away for a while and you come back to your house and it's that feeling of, I'm home, right? Or maybe it's that, the, the feeling of you've been looking for different houses and then you just walk into that one that you know is it and you say, this is home. This is home. And, and what's underneath that and, and what I'm guessing you're thinking about is here I feel loved. Here I feel safe. Here I feel welcomed. Here I feel accepted. And that's a win, because that's what it's about, is connecting people with Jesus. That's our desire of what this place can be. Do you say, I'm home. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. It's about changed lives and connecting people with Jesus. Another one, this was actually a a letter, right? Remember the paper that you can hold? So this is what the, the, the gentleman wrote. He said, wow, the power of God's spirit was so evident during Easter worship. God showed me just how powerful he is and I feel like, get this, I feel like he lit the fire inside me again. You wish you were up there, don't you, right? <laughs> Let's just be really loud right now. Everybody go, who, who, who. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Who, who, Oh, that was fun. Okay, anyway. That was my best part of the sermon right there. Okay. Uh, The guy said, He lit the fire inside me again. Some of you this morning feel like your faith in Jesus is like a pilot light that's barely flickering. And he said, He lit the fire inside me again. And so we praise God for the crowds, we praise God for the lines. We praise God for running out of chairs. We praise God for overflow seating up in the loft. We praise God for those things. And we never take them for granted. We never take them for granted. There were days very early on in this church where I sat in the back at Hubble Elementary School, particularly with this service, the 11 o'clock service, and there was like two people there and like three people there. And I'm like, well, it's biblical. We're two or more gathered. There Jesus is, right? you just kind of wonder, like, is anybody going to show up? And we never take those things for granted because it has never been about us. It has never been about a building. It's not about a worship style. It's about Jesus, and it always will be about Jesus. And if we keep our focus on him and not get distracted by all these other things, then we'll be okay. Then we'll get to where God wants us to go as a church. But we praise God for changed lives. So just like the gentleman that wrote me that said, God has lit this fire in my heart again, underneath that, there's a deeper question. He's asking, what now? Easter happened. Jesus came back from the dead. The grave is empty. We have eternity secured for us with salvation in Jesus Christ. What now? And chances are, for the followers of Jesus 2,000 years ago, they were probably asking the same question. Okay? Here's the thing. When Jesus came back from the dead, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have email, they didn't have social media, so they couldn't blast out this message. It's not like Jesus had a Twitter account and tweeted out, hey, I'm back, you know, or something, and then everybody found out, right? You probably have a lot of Twitter followers, right? Instead, what we read in Scripture is that after the resurrection, Jesus starts appearing to different groups of people at different times. So, like, it's kind of like a game of telephone and the word's getting out. It's like, oh, did you hear, like, the whole thing that happened in the garden tomb with Jesus? And I think he was dead, but now he's alive. And so people are starting to hear about this. And that's where we land in our first story today. So you know the Easter story, but now, as our good friend Paul Harvey used to say, it's time to figure out the rest of the story, right? So turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, and that's where we're going to start today. Luke chapter 24. If you're new to Scripture, that's going to be in the back 30 of your Bible. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. And again, the reason that the ushers are walking up and down the aisles during the Scripture reading is because we want you to have a Bible. That's why we have them. They're free Take one home with me. If it's on your phone, that's totally fine too. So, Luke chapter 24, and we'll pick it up in verse 13. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right. So, two men are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus right after Easter. So, verse 13. That same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. So, basically, Holy Week, right? Everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, pay attention now, look at this. Jesus himself came up and walked alongside them, okay? The last time they saw Jesus, he was hanging on a cross, okay? Jesus walked alongside them, but they were kept from recognizing, I don't know how that's possible, but they were kept from recognizing him, and then what does Jesus do? He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Now, I think this is absolutely hilarious. If you don't read the Bible and laugh out loud once in a while to yourself, you may not be reading the Bible correctly, okay? Here's Jesus, he's the celebrity of the century. He just came back from the dead. It happened in the town square, crucified. Then he rises from the dead. Word's starting to get out. He's a pretty popular guy, okay? You'd think you'd be able to recognize him. They don't recognize him, okay? He just defeats the power of sin, death, and hell. He comes back, he poof, appears somehow to a couple guys on the road if you're Jesus, you could very easily show up and go, surprise, right? It's me, but he doesn't. Watch what he does. He comes up along these two guys that were followers of his, and he just kind of comes up and goes, so, uh, what you guys talking about, you know, because Jesus is a country hick or something like that. I don't know, like, hey, guys, what's going on, you know, and they don't recognize him, like, hey, Dude, kind of, you know, blonde hair, blue-eyed, Norwegian guy comes up beside them. Um... Jesus is not Norwegian, I hate to bust your bubble, but he he comes up and he starts talking to some ordinary guy, and so imagine Jesus on the inside, hey, so what are you guys talking about? Like, well, there was this guy named Jesus, you know, and we thought he was the Messiah and he died on a cross and now rumor has it, you know, somebody stole his body and we don't know where it is, just kind of a real bummer, I don't know if we'll probably ever see him again. And if I'm Jesus, I'm going, (laughs) you know, like, where do you think we got humor from? Where do you think we got laughter from? God invented it and Jesus is God, so he is just cracking up inside, okay? He doesn't say surprise. He says, hey, you know, what's going on, you guys? Ever heard about this guy Jesus? Yeah, I heard he was a pretty cool guy, you know? I just, it just boggles my mind. And, and so we skip down to verse 28. The, the hilarity of Jesus is very appealing to me. Verse 28, the story continues. They talk, they enjoy Jesus so much, they invite him to dinner and they still don't know it's him. And then they're sitting down for dinner. And I would imagine that these followers probably had heard about the Last Supper, the Last Supper, the Passover meal where Jesus, you know, lifted up bread and said, this is my body broken for you, what we're going to do here in a little bit. And the story goes, I love this, in that moment, they recognized it was him. I think this is one of the coolest stories in all of Scripture. It's like when Jesus stood up in their living room and broke bread, they're like, I've heard of this guy before. It was you the whole time. And Jesus goes, I'm back, right? Like That's not what the scripture says. That's the John International Version there. But then comes one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. Let's read this together up on the screen. What they said to each other, verse 32. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? In other words, they're saying it's like someone lit the fire in us again. Does that ring a bell to you? It's the same as the guy that wrote me the letter after Easter. It's almost like Jesus is changing lives right here on Ingersoll Avenue in Des Moines in 2016, just as he was on the road to Emmaus that day. He's still lighting the fire in people's hearts again. And he can do the same for you. And the reason that we start here is because I want you to watch what immediately happens after Easter. They realize it's Jesus. I don't know they just ditch him and they they leave, but then we pick it up in verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They got in their car and they just squealed their tires and peeled out of there. And then they found the 11, so 12 minus Judas and those with them. Assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord is risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized them when, he, when, uh, when they recognized Jesus when he broke the bread. So they immediately start telling the story. And what I want you to see in this, what comes after Easter, you ask? They cannot help but tell the story. They cannot help but share their faith. And so often I'll hear people say, well, you know, John, I'm just kind of an ordinary Christian, kind of just learning this whole spirituality thing, and I come to worship. But it's it's more of a, a quiet faith for me. It's more of a kind of a private faith. And again, I hate to burst your bubble, but nowhere in Scripture do I read anything about having a private faith, about keeping it to yourself. Personal, absolutely. Private, never seen it. When you have the greatest news in the world, don't you want to share it? Have you been on Facebook recently, right? Birth announcements, weddings, engagements, we bought a house, whatever it is. People put these things in the paper and pay big money to do that because they want to share the good news of what's going on. And yet with our faith we say, well, I I wouldn't want to offend anybody. We have the greatest news in the world. And they don't know any different at this point, all they know is they know this guy named Jesus. And the reason we start here is because today we are starting a brand new sermon series called Starting Fresh with Church. And the reason we have to start here with the story is because the church is not something that somebody came up with in the 1950s. It's not something that we came up with in 2016. It's not something we invented. The church is rooted in the narrative of God. It's rooted in history. And it starts here. Here. It starts here. Before we get all our ideas of what church should be like, this is where it starts. This is what we know. Peel it all down, down to the bare bones of what the DNA of the church was. First of all, all we know is that they were followers of Jesus. Okay? They actually spent time with him. They they, they walked with him. They knew him. And I'm guessing that's us as well. That's why you're here is because you want to grow and you want to be challenged. You You want to... carve every, you know, bend every area of your life around him, not just on Sundays, but all throughout the week. We are followers of Jesus. The second thing that we know, all we know, is that they were uh, witnesses. I have no idea how to spell witness. Witnesses, says, I'll just cover my bases. Witnesses, okay. They were witnesses to the resurrection, okay? A pastor, not, a, not an English professor, okay? So they were witnesses to the resurrection. They actually saw this. And last, what we know is if you skip ahead, To the early church, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, they're all there together. Jesus shows up, and it says, The Holy Spirit came like tongues of fire and filled them up with the power of the Holy Spirit and sent them out. So they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And you look at that and you say, What's different about us sitting right now here today? We're followers of Jesus that are witnesses to the resurrection. And Scripture tells us that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. We have everything we need to be the church that God has called us to be. And it has nothing to do with buildings or money or... uh, Look at the early followers of Jesus. They hadn't done any Beth Moore Bible studies on DVD. They hadn't even taken Alpha. How unqualified, right? They weren't theologians. They weren't religious scholars. All they knew is, we follow this guy named Jesus. He was the Messiah. He predicted his own death and he came back three days later and he's literally changed our lives and we cannot help but share it. There is a fire burning inside of us. This is how we start talking about church. Not about buildings. Not about worship services. Not about traditional versus contemporary or Lutheran or any of those. I hate to break it to you, there's no Lutherans in heaven. Just like there's no Baptists or Catholics or anything like that. It has not to do with any of that. It starts with people that are on fire with the love of Jesus. That's where we start talking about church. And so the the, the reason we do that is because I'm guessing that not all of you have had that experience with church. Not all of you can say that's been your experience. For some of you, church has been boring, it's been irrelevant. You've been, you've been judged. Church has never been a priority for you. And here's the thing, regardless of your experience, which is a lot based on your past, on your family, your upbringing, your parents, things like that, the reason is because we are all products of our past. We are products of our past. But when it comes to being the church, I want you to hear this loud and clear. You are a product of your past but you do not have to be a prisoner. You are a product of your past, but you are not a prisoner of your past, meaning you can break the chains and the baggage and the bondage that is holding you down to say, this is the way that church is. And I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, especially when I read the book of Acts, I want to live that. I don't want to just read it. This is not the exception to the rule, this is it. God didn't give us the Bible to say, well, this is what some people experienced once upon a time, and it was really powerful and it changed their life, but you should just show up at worship once a week. No, he said, this is it. This is the story you can live, and I want to experience that too, and I hope that you do as well. That's what we can experience with church. And so when we start this sermon series, it's important that we start by asking the right questions. And it's not the question that is the title of the sermon today. Of all the sermon titles that I have ever had, so the series is called Starting Fresh with Church. The title of this sermon is Starting Fresh with Church, What's in It for Me? I loathe this sermon title. I hate this sermon title with a passion, and here's why. It could not be more unbiblical. Worst sermon title ever, okay? I'm not saying stop listening. I'm going to tell you why it's the worst sermon title ever could not be more unbiblical. Nowhere in Scripture do we see anything remotely close to what's in it for me. Because here's the danger. When we start this series on church with asking what's in it for me, what we're essentially saying is the same consumer mindset that I have in the rest of my life and that culture feeds us every day, I'm just bringing that consumer mindset right into the church. Okay? Think about it. You go to Walmart, you go to the mall, you go shopping online, you're always asking what's in it for me me, right? You go looking for a house. This isn't a bad thing. You have your punch list. You have your non-negotiables. You're asking, what's in it for me? We're constantly asking that. You go to a fast food restaurant, you can have it your way, right? What's in it for me? You choose the movie you go to. You go to the mall. You're asking, what's in it for me? And the danger is, is that we bring that consumer mindset right into the church. And when we start with this question, it puts us in the position, you in the position, of being a consumer of religious goods and services. And you are coming here to receive those goods and services from the pastor or from the worship leader. And so what we do is we come into church with a consumer mindset saying, man, I hope the sermon's not boring today. I apologize if it is, but, you know, I hope the sermon's not I hope they sing that one song. I hope my friends are there that I really wanted to see. I hope the coffee's not too bad today. You know, whatever it is, and it's, it's picky, 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 I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Instead, I see a bunch of people that were willing to risk their lives to gather together. And if they could get their hands on the Scriptures, it was like the highlight of their year. And we say, no, I don't need a Bible. People have risked their lives for that. There's two ways of viewing church. I'm coming to consume or I'm coming to contribute. I'm coming to to give, So it's really important that we ask the right kind of question. Here's why we can't come with a consumer mindset to church. You don't choose church. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus chose you. And he purchased you with his blood on that cross, which means you no longer belong to yourself, you belong to him. And you have everything that you need in him, just as we sang this morning. And he has given you love and peace and unfathomable joy eternal life secured with him forever and we come back and say uh i didn't i didn't like the worship this morning what's in it for me do you see the tension there it just doesn't make sense in light of what jesus has done it's more about what i can bring than what about i can get so one of my new favorite hobbies uh unhealthy or not, is I get addicted to watching YouTube videos, and I don't know what happened, but ever since I became a dad, I am just a sappy, sappy man, and I just cry at everything. <laughs> Things especially with kids. I, I'm sorry, guys, if I just lost my man card for that, but I, I just cry at commercials on YouTube, okay? So a while ago, this is back during Christmas, I saw this Christmas commercial, and I just lost it. It's just so simple, but I think it is a perfect illustration of how we think the church, we normally act towards church, and what God calls us to be instead of getting. It's about the joy of giving. Take a look. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought too. I just sat there in front of my computer, a mess. <laughs> Tiffany says, what's wrong? I'm like, I just watched an online trading commercial. I just thought <laughs> But I, I look at that and I think about my own son and I think about the joy that he has in giving us gifts. What did you think? The entire commercial, what are you thinking? It's Christmas, the little boy is saying, gimme, 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 gimme. And then at the end, he discovers the joy of giving. And if we could just take a little bit of that and apply it to our approach to church, I think we'd be on the right track. What if that was your thought every time you walk through those doors? Who needs a hug? Who needs someone to put their arm around him and say, you're going to make it? And if you haven't got that here, I am so sorry. That's what the church is supposed to be. Let's be that for each other. Who can I pray for? Who needs some encouragement today? Who can I sit by and get to know them and let them know that somebody sees them, that they're not anonymous? Maybe that's the gift that God is calling you to bring. So the first step in starting fresh with church is that we start with a posture of surrender of openness, of saying, God, what do you want to do through me to accomplish your mission for this church? That's the prayer. And that's the exact same thing that Paul's talking about in the scripture that Laura read for us this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12, and that's where we're going to land today. Romans chapter 12. So Peter and Paul, and not Mary, but Peter and Paul at least, are planting churches all across the Mediterranean after Easter here, and one of them is in Rome, and so Paul is writing to the church in Rome. And he writes them this letter about how to live in light of what Jesus has done. Romans chapter 12, keep it open there. Let's read this first verse together nice and loud up on the screen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So from time to time, a passage in Scripture will start with, therefore, and one of my favorite seminary professors, I remember this, he always taught us to say, whenever you see a therefore, make sure you know what the therefore is there for. Okay? <laughs> Some of you will get that on the way home, okay? So, therefore, meaning Paul is pointing to something previous. So, Romans chapter 12, that means we should go to Romans chapter 11, which you don't have to do right now. That can be your homework for this week. But Romans chapter 11 is all about what Jesus has done, telling the story from Old Testament to New, what Jesus has done. So now, in chapter 12, this is why we can't take verses out of context. Like, read the book. Read the narrative, okay? Paul is turning the page, he's turning the corner now and saying, therefore, in light of everything that you just discovered about Easter and what Jesus has done, live your life in the posture of sacrifice, of surrender. Not what can I get, but Jesus, how can I serve? What do you want to do through me? Everybody just do that for a second. Just open up your hands like this, like just you're in that posture. It's it's not weird, it's just everybody's doing it, okay? We'll all be weird together, okay? Okay. It just feels right. It just feels normal. Now, clench your fists as tightly as you can and just bring your arms close to your chest like this, like you're just trying to hold on to something. just As tight as you can. Just squeeze it really tight. Okay? Got about 10 minutes left. Hold it. Okay. So, no, I'm just kidding. Okay? Now, really slowly, just release them and just open your hands like that and just put them on your lap and just sit like that for a second. That is what we're saying when we approach church. Your idea, God, not mine. And it, it's an outward expression of an inward reality. And we're saying this is, that's why you see people with their hands open in worship, okay? Or this or whatever. They're not saying like touchdown. They're just saying, Jesus, I'm open to what you want to do through me, okay? It's not weird. It's normal. It's naturally supernatural, okay? So we start with a posture of worship. But then Paul continues of openness, of surrender. But then Paul continues in verse 4. How do we be the church? Verse 4. For just as each of us has one body, like a physical body with many parts, many members, these members do not have all the same function. So in Christ, though we form one body and each member belongs to the others, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Okay? So step one in approaching church is come with a posture of openness and surrender. Step two, Paul says, is play your part. Everybody says play your part. Oh, say it like you mean it. Play your part. Okay? So, just as in a human body, every single part has a different function. The foot doesn't do what the ear does, and the eye doesn't do what your knee does, and all of it, different functions, and one's not any more important than the other. I hear a lot of people, not a lot of people, some people say, you know, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? That sort of thing. Have you ever stopped and asked God, what's in it for him? Maybe that's what we should be asking is, I'm open to what you want to do, God, and how do you want to use me for your glory? That's the most important question you could ask in your life. So I'm going to play my part. What is that part? Okay, you are a part of the body of Christ. So what role is God calling you to play? Have you ever asked him? Sometimes I'll ask that question, and and we stand up here every single week, and we challenge people, you know, get connected, get connected. And I hear a lot of people say, John, I don't even know where to start. It's such a big, ambiguous question. Well, let me draw this for you. I'm just going to draw three circles, and you can draw this if you're keeping score at home, if you're taking notes, and it'll be up there as well. Every single one of us has three things, okay? It's similar. Every single one of us has gifts that God has given us, and we have, or experiences, okay? I'm not going to write that all. The gifts and experiences. You have done things with your life, whether they seem spiritual or not, God is wants to use those. We all have gifts. We all have experiences. We also have things that we are passionate about, okay? We all have passions. We have things that we love to do, that we enjoy. And last but not least, every single one of us is surrounded by the needs around us, the things that are on God's heart, and somewhere right here in the intersection of those may be a clue to your part to play. What part is God calling you to play in the body? Maybe it's not as complicated as you think. Have you ever asked him? You ever asked ask this question, God, what, what gifts have you given me? You all have them, and they're all different. What am I passionate about, and what are the needs around me. I was talking with a guy a couple weeks ago that's new to our church and he was just telling me a little bit of a story. He's like, John, I want to, I feel like God's calling me to serve and I want to do something with my life, but I just, I don't know what that is. I don't, I, I'm not really a church person. I don't really know a lot about the Bible, so I, I don't really know what, what I could do around here. He just started telling me stories like, you know, I did some things, you know, I worked for a school district. I, I don't know, I drove a school bus for 23 years <laughs> I said, you drove a school bus for 23 years. Do you know that we have a ministry that picks up over 140 people from homeless shelters and under buses every single week and it's called Breakfast Club and we send out two buses to seven or eight different shelters? And he's like, are you kidding? I'm, no, like this is a gift that you have. You have experience of this. He's like, I love serving people. I love helping people. That's your passion. We have a need. Beautiful, right? Next coffee's on me, Right. And it's almost like the light bulb came on for him. And we have so many people in this congregation that the light bulbs come on, that the light has come on. They've come alive because they realize that it's more than just about the pastor or the worship leader. We have guys that came alive when we were renovating this building, and they laid tile on their hands and knees in all the bathrooms in this building. And they're like, I can use a gift that God's given me. We have people that have played in rock bands and bar bands that are now on our worship team. Because they found they could use that gift for God's glory. He can use anything. And every single one of these things in the middle is different. And that's the point. Some of you might say, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a worship leader, so I'm more just behind the scenes, so it's really not that important. Couldn't be farther from the truth. Some of you know a couple weeks ago, and this may be new news for some of you, but a couple weeks ago I announced that in a few weeks here, I'm going to be taking an extended rest, which is called a sabbatical, and be gone for a couple months. And since I announced that, a few people, not a lot, but a few people have come up to me and said, John, what are we going to do when you're gone? And I said, the same thing you've always done, you know? Like, I kind of explained to them, play your part. If the church is about me, we would have been over a long time ago. The church is about every single part playing their role. Think about it in a music sense, okay? If it was just Jed up here, well, that would be okay, but it's beautiful when the whole band comes together. Think about a a piano, right? I learned 88 keys, and every single one of those keys on the keyboard plays a different note. What if they were all the same? Some of you are saying, well, I'm not really a leader, I'm not really an upfront person. We want this to look different for every single one of you, okay? We don't want all the keys on the piano to be the same. What it, imagine if they were. Well, you don't have to imagine. Because a few guys with way too much time on their hands took a grand piano. They made a commercial out of this, okay? They took a grand piano and they retuned every single key on the piano to the exact same tone. And then they found a world-class pianist to play some amazing song on a, a real piano where they're all different and then flip around and play on the piano where it's all monotone, where it's all the same. Take a look. Don't you just love the, 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 the title there at the end? Be together, not the same. What a great tagline for being the church as well. That, for, for us, we want you to be different. The point is some of you are from the city and some of you are from the suburbs and some of you this is your first time and some of you have been coming your whole life. Some of you grew up in the church and you grew up Lutheran and some of you had nothing to do with the church growing up. Some of you were on this end politically and some of you are on this end politically. Whatever it is, We're different. Some of you have this gift, some of you have that gift. Some of you are the foot, some of you are the head. Some of you are the ear, some of you, whatever it is, use your gift. Play your part. Find your note. Find your key on the piano and play it well. God is writing a beautiful song and it's called Hope Des Moines. And we need you to play your note. One not more significant than the other. Play your note. Be together. Our song would not be the same without you. We need each other. And that's the point of the new member class that we're doing together. Some of you are like, oh, I've heard about churches doing these new member classes before. And you know, it's, you go up there and you listen to a guy talk for a while. Sorry, it's me. And, uh, and then you get your name put on a list and then, well, I'm on some roster of this church and I was a member of that church, whatever. Do you know biblically what being a member means? It's what Paul says right here in verse 5. You belong to each other. Just look around you. Just look around at the people around you really quick. Just make them feel really odd and uncomfortable. Just stare at them. They've been staring at the back of your head the whole time. So just look at them. Just give them a great big smile. Just all around. Just look around you. It's okay. Everybody's doing it. We're all weird together. Okay? Just smile, right? Okay? These aren't a bunch of random people. These are your brothers and sisters. This is your family. Biblically, church is not a service you consume. It's a family to whom you commit. Okay, and that's the difference. And if it's a family, that means no matter what happens, come hell or high water, if we get in arguments, if we frustrate each other, if we don't get along sometime, we don't give up on each other, we don't quit, we don't stop coming, we don't get frustrated and say, well, I'm not going to deal with those. It's your family. You don't give up on your family. And it's also not just your family, it's the people that you're going on mission together. So I'll tell people up there, we are not forcing you to become members. I don't want you to come to the new member class so we can boost our attendance roles for membership. I want you to come because you believe in the mission of what God's doing here, and you want to be a part of that. And you look around and you say, yeah, I want to make a difference with these people right here, even the funny-looking ones sitting next to me. I want to be on mission together. Praise God. That's what it's about. That's what membership is about. So maybe it's time to belong to each other, to show your kids what it means to be a part not just of a family but of a church family and put your roots down. We belong to each other. God is writing a beautiful song. God is writing a play. And it's time to write your verse to that beautiful symphony. There was a movie that inspired a few people several years ago called Dead Poets Society. And in that movie there is this line that Robin Williams says that just grips me. And because we had the Android commercial, now we can balance it out with the Apple commercial. This is a commercial for the iPad. And they took these lines that Robin Williams is kind of a tribute to him when he died. They took these lines and they put some different images to them. And the message is simply this. The powerful play goes on. And you may contribute. A verse. The powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. What will your verse be? Let's take a look. The powerful play goes on called the mission of God and you are being asked to contribute a verse. We're missing your note if you're hanging out on the sidelines. One key, different than everyone else, and we need you to be you. What verse will you contribute? And if you don't know where to start, sometimes it's very, very simple. Take one step. This week we're doing a meal at the homeless shelter and half of the people that live at that homeless shelter worship at this church. Let's go and show them how much God loves them where they are. Let's go to them. There's a class starting on Wednesday called Finding Your Way Back to God. And this is not just for new believers. This is not just for people that are starting out. This is for people that, like you and I, often lose our way and we get disconnected from God. You can't find your verse in God's symphony if you're not connected to God. Come on Wednesday night. Get connected with the body. Get in a small group. Come to the information meeting about Haiti. Maybe God's calling you to go on a mission trip. There are dozens of teams to serve on. Often in a big church, people will look around and say, well, you know, a big growing church here at Hope. Looks like you got it all covered. You don't need my help. We need your help. We're not perfect. We're broken. But we're a bunch of broken, imperfect people that are coming together that God is using to write a beautiful song. What will your verse be? What part is God calling you to play? And may we, like the little boy on Christmas, stand at the back of this church every single week with our hands open asking, God, what are you calling me to bring? What do you want to do through me to further the mission of your church? Amen? Let's stand as we prepare our hearts for communion.